my name is Bex and welcome to Bookworms. We've got lots of stuff on the go for you today. We'll be talking to Angie Thomas about her brand new book, Nick Blake and the Remarkables. L.D. Lipinski is talking to us about Jamie and we've got some recommendations for you as well. But first, it's A.F. Stedman stepping up. Now, A.F. Stedman came to the Fun Kids studio to chat about the latest release in the magical Skandar series. This is Skandar and the Phantom Rider. Let's find out more. I am joined right now with A.F. Stedman. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. Thanks for having me. No, well, I mean, kind of in a way, it feels like you're hosting me because you're in the Fun Kids studio <laughs> right now and I'm out and about. Uh, so it feels, it feels like you're a bit in charge. Um, are they treating you well in the studio? Are you okay there? Yeah, no, it's, it's been brilliant. It's, it's amazing down here. It's lovely, isn't it? Well, I'm glad you're going all right. Uh, now, uh, you've, you've arrived at the studio to tell us about the second book in the Skandar series. And um, I'm really excited about this because the first one was incredible. Um, if our listeners haven't read the first one, can you tell us where we find Skandar? Okay. So if they haven't read the first one. Yeah. Okay, so Skandar Smith, um, in the first book, uh, he is wanting to be a unicorn rider. That's his dream. Um, and unicorns are a bit different in these books. They are not fluffy and friendly and rainbow-filled. They are, in fact, deadly and bloodthirsty and quite difficult to tame. But Skandar wants to be uh, a unicorn rider and tame one of these unicorns on the island. Um, and so that's where we find him at the beginning of the first book, about to go on a bit of a journey. Excellent. So he starts this incredible new school where he learns more about unicorns. And uh, in the second book, Skandar on the Phantom Rider, um, he's he's about to go into the second year, I guess. Yeah. So uh, they spend the first year kind of learning basic elemental magic, I would say, um, you know, trying to tame the firepower, learn some water shields, things like that. And then when they're entering the second year, they're kind of the focus of their training is uh, learning how to mold elemental weapons. So we're talking about flaming swords and lightning bows um, and kind of sand maces, which is a fun thing uh, to invent. <laughs> and so, yeah, they are training for a jousting tournament at the end of the year. Um, and in that, they'll be using those weapons and basically trying to knock each other off of their unicorns um, and be the winner. I mean, what an incredible thing to to be able to do. Is it weird to write about unicorns that aren't fluffy and cute? Because that's what we think of them as. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I, I've never really liked those ones. So in a way, I have a lot of fun kind of destroying that um, image of unicorns. And I think, yeah, it's particularly when they're combined with the elemental magic, they can make a lot of trouble um, and kind of... It's really like there's a scene in the first book where it snows and like imagining elemental ferocious unicorns playing in the snow um, and what they would do with kind of like freezing it and having a snowball fight with their their riders was uh, was a really fun thing to write. And tell us about this world that you've built for Skandar, because it must have been quite exciting just to create this brand new place in your head. Uh, what is what is the island like that the school is on? So the island is just off the coast of the UK and it is an elemental island. So it's kind of the foundations of it are kind of there's it's in quarters. So it's kind of um, you got a fire zone, water zone, air um, and earth zone. And um, that's kind of where the foundational mythology for it came from. Um, so then whenever I've built something new into the world, I've thought, you know, how does that fit with it? So we have the Erie, which is the rider training school. Um, and that's kind of, there's a lot of tree houses in these books as well, because, uh, you know, you can't, unicorns are pretty dangerous uh, and they're a wild unicorn. So being off the ground um, and out of their way is a, is a good, good idea. Um, <laughs> 
And then there's the hatchery as well, which is where the unicorn eggs are kind of stored, waiting for riders to come to find their destined unicorn. Um, and that sort of, it sort of looks a bit like a Viking burial mound. And I wanted something that was very, very shut. So there's a big old door on there um, for people to have to open to get in. So I kind of, I, I, imag- I wanted to imagine places that I'd want to go and hopefully children will want to go when they read about it, um, but also fit with the island mythology as well. And uh, speaking of people who want to go there, how about Kenna? How about Skandar's sister? Do we think that she'll get a chance? <laughs> well, uh, I think it's probably not too much of a spoiler to say that in Skandar and the Phantom Rider, uh, Kenna um, is going on a journey of her own. And um, she actually has kind of flashes of chapters um, of her own as well. So you get you get it from her perspective because um, I've always been interested in Kenna and the fact she gets left behind. And I think as an older sister myself, if my own brothers had gone to a unicorn island to learn elemental magic and left me behind to do my maths homework I think I would have been pretty annoyed about that yeah it's a great idea because you know bless her she had such promise as well and you know it's interesting to see that from her point of view because it's not often in books you get to see somebody else's point of view on what's going on right yeah and I think I mean in many ways I think Kenna um, when you when you read kind of the first few chapters, you you kind of think, well, isn't she going to be the one that gets to go to the island? Because she's she seems kind of more like naturally heroic, um, and she she's the one who kind of protects Skandar from the bullies, um, and she's quite she's quite funny as well. So I thought it was a real shame if we never never hear from her again. So uh, we'll be hearing more more from Kenna. Excellent. And what about the friends that Skandar has at school? Are you enjoying writing about their kind of personal relationships as well as the, you know, the big unicorn battles? Yeah, I think that's that's one of my favourite things to write about. I think partly because I think hopefully when readers are kind of like going on the journey with them, they will be able to see what they're going through and maybe they'll be going through that in their own lives. Like in, in the second book in the series, um, Bobby in particular, who's a very competitive, ambitious character, one of Skandar's best friends. You know, she's, she starts to struggle a little bit with, you know, Skandar being sort of this this kind of um, person who gets a lot of attention. Um, and I think that, that that can be common in friendship groups. Sometimes someone gets more attention and then you think, how do I fit in with this now? Um, so, yeah, I really I really enjoy um, writing how their personalities are changing and how they're they're growing up. It must be interesting as well to be able to create this new fiction around unicorns. Did you have to, do you have like a map at home of like the things you made up about unicorns, the things that you've put out there in the world so you don't forget anything? Um, I don't, I'm not very good at writing things like that down. I think I put a lot, it's a lot of it's in my head, but what I do have is kind of um, lots of unicorn names because there are a lot of unicorns in these books now and I have to remember lots of details about them. So which element that they're allied to, who their rider is, where they come from, how many how many years they've been at the Erie. So I have these big long documents which um, we also give to the translators as well so they can start translating the names because in some languages they don't quite work. So they, they have a different name in Spanish or, or French than they do in English. And has the, have the books been translated into lots of different languages then? Yeah, so I think we're on 47 now. Wow! Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty exciting. I don't think I even know that 47 languages <laughs> exist. That's amazing. I, wow. I was struggling to think, well, what, what else can there be? But um, no, it's, uh, it's really, really exciting. And if you were to have a unicorn, what do you think it would be called? Ah, oh, so I think that I, I think I'm probably like maybe a fire element kind of person or a, or an earth element. So I'd want something fiery, like maybe Phoenix or something. Um, and then maybe something cool, like a kind of precious stone, like diamond or 
I don't know. That's a terrible name. I've made up a terrible name for my own unicorn. Um, <laughs> no, Phoenix Diamond. That sounds pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah, I um, yeah, we when I go into schools, we make up unicorn names together, and um, often the children come up with incredible names, which I I'm very very upfront about that I steal from them. So if anyone has any ideas, <laughs> feel free to send me an email from my website, and I will steal the name from you. <laughs> Amazing. What's your top tip for making the best uh, unicorn name? If our listeners are listening right now and they're thinking, oh, what would she look for? What's a good tip from you yeah so they normally have two names and one of them is normally the nickname so something that works like that and then also you want to think about which element that they're most allied to as well so that can go into the name Um, and just yeah make it scary make it ferocious (laughs) i love the idea that some of our listeners might see their own um, name of the unicorn in the next book uh speaking of which uh am i right in thinking is it a five book series do we still have three more to come yes that's right um it'll be five books so um each book is kind of tied to an element in its design so the first book uh is kind of fire and then the second one is water it's very blue um if you've uh, seen it um and so yeah we've got three more elements to go three more books um and yeah there are five years of training in the eerie so it made a lot of sense for it to be to be that long yeah, I have to say the book covers are instantly recognisable, aren't they? I mean, the red one from last year was just everywhere. I saw it in every bookshop. And now the blue one as well. Like, It's a great idea to really theme it and to get those big, bold colours. You must be delighted when you see them in bookshops. Yeah, I mean, it, I love I love the cover so much. I was so worried about it before I saw the first one because I just I was I just didn't want the unicorns to look too friendly, um, and I wanted it. It's hard because you have the picture in your mind, and then I saw it and I just thought that is what I saw in my mind. I can't believe they managed to do that. Um, and the second cover, honestly, it dropped into my inbox, and um, we didn't do anything to it. It was just perfect. It, they'd done it perfectly, and it's a scene from the book as well. So that's that's really cool. And uh, for anybody who has got the book in their hands right now or is about to read it, can you give us uh, something to look out for, like a, a little bit that maybe is your favourite bit of the book or something you might not notice if uh, if you didn't get pointed towards it? Oh, OK. Um, I think so. One of my uh, favourite, this is actually, yeah, OK, I've thought of it. Um, there <laughs> is a, there's a group that you learn about in book two called the Peregrine Society. Um, and they're like an elite flying squad. So they don't care about the elements, but all they care about is speed. Um and uh, they send out an invitation and with it comes a sort of metal peregrine falcon feather. Um, and the, en- the invitation that they, that's in the book, you can see it, um, is actually sent out on my birthday. So there you go. <laughs> oh, that's a great one. That's amazing. I'm glad, glad I asked that question now. Uh, brilliant. Uh, well, um, Annabelle, thank you so much for telling us all about the book. And uh, hopefully one day our paths will cross in real life and I'll oh. see you in the studio and you'll be in the studio and hopefully for the third book we can chat but in the meantime uh, thank you so much for telling us about Skandar and the Phantom Rider thank you so much love that book love that series that's shaping up to be a classic next up we've got LD Lipinski now LD's new book is Jamie and it's all about how it's tricky to fit in especially when you don't maybe fit what society expects. But Jamie is about embracing all of those things that make us unique and cherishing those people who stand beside us. Okay, I am joined right now by author LD Lipinski. You may Hi. know already. Hi. <laughs> oh my goodness. I was so excited there. And I'm of so course, excited. I love it. We may know you from Strange World Travel Agency, but now we've got a brand new book. We've got Jamie in the world. Uh, tell us a little bit about lovely Jamie. 
So Jamie is uh, a perfectly happy, ordinary kid who's in year six. Um, so yeah, it's a bit of a deviation from Strange Worlds because they've mm. gone from sort of magical worlds to the real world. Uh, so yep, they're in year six and they go to this meeting about what's going to happen when they go for year seven and they're doing all the school transfer stuff. And they found out that their school choices for year seven are going to be split. There's going to be a school for boys and there's going to be a school for girls. And Jamie is a non-binary kid. They're not a boy or a girl. And nobody's thought about which school they're going to go to. And to make matters even worse, Jamie's got two best friends, which isn't the worst bit. That's an amazing bit. (laughs) But one of their best friends is a girl, Daisy. She's going to the girls' school. The other one, Ash, has chosen to go to the boys' school. So whichever school Jamie chooses, they're going to end up losing touch with one of their very best friends. Yeah, I mean, this is a big moment in anybody's life, right? When you have to go to secondary school and it is trickier for Jamie. And um, it is, yeah, it's worth pointing out as well that for the whole friendship group, it's really hard, right? Because they're going to be split up no matter what. It is. And they've been, they're the kind of trio who've been together since they were in nappies. You know, they've always been the three of them. One of their mums calls them the Bermuda Triangle because they're a bit notorious and things tend to go a little bit wrong when they're around. But they really are like ride or die friends forever. And the news that one of them is going to end up on their own, no matter what happens, is, is really upsetting for all of them. Yeah, it, it, oh, it is really tough. I remember doing that, that thing at school where you had to pick your next school and it was really hard. And of course, for Jamie, it is even tougher. But Jamie and and their friends are so amazing together and they kind of come together and there is joy in the book as well, right? Oh, so much so, yeah, definitely. So when Jamie's friends, Daisy and Ash, find out about uh, the fact that no one's considered where Jamie's going to go, they decide they're going to try and do something about it because kids are so much better than grown-ups at taking a stand and trying to get things fixed and you know making a difference in the world. As we all know, grown-ups don't always listen as much as we probably should. <laughs> So, yeah, so the three of them set out to raise awareness and to get people to to recognize the fact that, you know, the, these split schools aren't just hurting um, non-binary kids, but, you know, they're splitting up friendships. And they, they start a, a poster campaign in school to raise awareness and they wallpaper a library from floor to ceiling and they get into trouble about it. But things don't stop there. I know. I don't want to ruin it too much, but there is uh, there is an incredible scene in the book, which I noticed on Twitter the other day. Uh, the I didn't realise the drawing on the cover of the book is a real place. It is, yeah. So I don't think it's a spoiler because it is on the cover. Their awareness campaign eventually becomes a rooftop protest on top of the council house in Nottingham, which is a real place. And the cover, which is illustrated by Harry Woodgate, fits absolutely perfectly with the real council house in Nottingham. You can line the building up with the book absolutely perfectly. So yeah, it's it's almost um, surreal seeing it just there fitting absolutely perfectly, yeah. even though the characters do look like giants when you hold the book up. <laughs> Oh, but it was really satisfying to see your picture, though, in the comparison. It all fitted together. It was like a perfect jigsaw puzzle. It is, yeah. I mean, Harry is an absolutely wonderful illustrator, and I'm so thrilled that um, that Harry and Sam chose that scene to go on the cover because it is a real moment of celebration. It starts off as a protest. You know, they're up on the roof waving this flag, you know, trying to raise awareness, and eventually people join them and come together, and this protest becomes a party of celebrating people be just being thrilled about who they are and who their friends are. It's it's so lovely. And yeah, like you say, that party, that celebration, uh, the joy, was that important to you to put into the book? 
Oh, definitely. Definitely. It is a book of joy and happiness and celebration, ultimately. You know, I think we can all think of a time where we feel like we've been left out or no one's thought about us in, in any sort of circumstance. I think we've all sat there and gone, oh, hang mm. on, what about me? But also, I think we, you know, a lot of us are so, so lucky with our friendships and we do want to celebrate our friends and things that make them unique. We want to be there for them. Having that just pure joy celebration felt really, really natural to put in because these are just such wonderful characters to write and and great fun. I wish they were my friends. The whole family, Jamie's family are great as well, I think. Um, And also you put in some definitions of kind of tricky words every so often. Was Was that to help you or was that to help the reader? A little bit of both, actually. Um, It's not written like a dictionary or an encyclopedia or anything like that. Uh, Jamie's a very precocious kid and they they know a lot. They spend (laughs) a lot of time online. They've done done their research. And sometimes they say things um, and come out with words that readers might not necessarily be familiar with. So they, in their words, in their 11-year-old voice, have these little definitions at the end of each chapter just to explain things that they might have gone into detail about that might be a little bit confusing. But it's definitely not written to be a sort of how-to guide or anything like that. It's just Jamie explaining themselves. And it is written from their voice. So there'll be these little inserts of, personally, I feel like this, (laughs) because that's how they feel. Yeah, I thought that was great. I really needed that as well. It was it was awesome. Tell me, what reaction have you had to the book as well? You must have had lots of people being just thrilled that it's out there in the world. Oh, it's been absolutely gorgeous. It's been really, really brilliant. I've had some amazing chats um, from young people and also teachers and librarians who have read the book and they're just thrilled that it's out there now. Uh, for anyone to pick up and, and experience this like little burst of of joy and celebration. So yeah, it's been really, really lovely. Oh, amazing. And will will we be seeing them again? Will Jamie be out in the world? I would love them to be out in the world again. I think, however, after their adventures in this first one, they might need a couple of years to recuperate. <laughs> Ask me again in a couple of years. Um, I do have another book out this year, but uh, it's going to be completely different characters. It's going to be another standalone. Yeah, I mean, I know we're here for Jamie, but I just need to tell the listeners, uh, give us a little sneaky teaser of your new book as well. Uh, So this is out in October and it's called Stepfather Christmas and it's about a girl called Harper who suspects that her mum's new boyfriend might possibly be Santa Claus. I absolutely can't wait for it. Uh, Right, well, well, hopefully we'll have you in the studio to chat about that book as well. But in the meantime, uh, Jamie is out right now. The the cover is incredible. You can't miss it. And the story is brilliant. Uh, LD, thank you for telling us all about it. Thank you so much for having me. Finally today, Angie Thomas is here and she's going to tell us a little bit about Nick Blake and the Remarkables, the Manifesta Prophecy. Plus, we'll have a reading as well. Hi, I'm Angie Thomas, and I'm the author of Nick Blake and the Remarkables, The Manifesto Prophecy. Nick Blake doesn't want much for her 12th birthday. To see her favorite author would be great. To get an adorable hellhound puppy would be awesome. But to be able to finally learn how to use the gift, a magical ability passed down to Nick from her ancestors, well, that would be fantastic. But Nick's dad worries that Nick will treat the gift as a convenience to solve her problems. But before Nick can convince him otherwise, some major problems show up and some secrets come to life that throw Nick's life upside down. And now Nick and her friends must race to find a powerful weapon to clear her father's name. But with each new twist and turn, well, Nick isn't even sure she can trust herself. One particular moment to look out for in the Manifesto Prophecy is when Nick and her friends discovered that a historical place, well, historical thing that they've heard about all of their lives 
is actually a literal thing that still exists. I'm not going to spoil it. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it was a cool way for me to bring history into the book and make something that I've always heard about a real thing. Now I'm going to read a small bit of the Manifesto Prophecy. Chapter one, Hell Hounds, Haints, and Happy Birthdays. When my best friend JP turned 12, his parents bought him a phone. It was a super big deal because one, JP loses everything, and two, his parents think phones are quick access to the devil. I didn't know the devil had a phone. For her 12th birthday, Alabama McCain down the street got a sweatshirt once worn by a member of her favorite K-pop group. Weird, but not as weird as being named Alabama even though you're from Mississippi. Sean Cole, well, he got a fourth wheeler for his 12th. Now he likes to ride around the neighborhood knocking over trash cans. His mom says he's being a boy. I say he's being a bud. But for my 12th birthday, well, I've got them all beat. My dad's going to finally teach me how to use a gift so I can be a real manifester. But first, I've got to catch a hellhound. I tiptoe through the woods so the leaves don't crackle under my feet. In yesterday's homeschool lesson, dad said hellhounds can hear sounds from hundreds of miles away. I think I can smell a hellhound from hundreds of miles away. Wherever this thing is, it's filling the forest with a strong odor of boiled eggs and Fritos. Remember what I told you, Knickknack, Dad says. His voice is around me like he's speaking on an intercom. Look for the signs. Hellhounds always leave a trail. A trail of what, funk? I wipe my forehead on my arm. You'd think 8 a.m. in the morning was too early to sweat, but that's normal for late May in Mississippi. The sun glares through the trees and the air is thick and sticky. It feels like walking through toffee. I grip the handle of my net. The mesh is made from giant's hair, one of the strongest materials on earth. Although I zoned out for most of dad's hour-long lecture, I do remember that giant's hair is one of the few things that hellhounds can't chew through. I also remember that hellhounds breathe fire, so I search for signs. Burnt leaves, scorched earth, smoke. Up ahead, a pillar rises into the air. Where there's smoke, there's a hellhound. I tiptoe in that direction and bam, there it is in the clearing, a hellhound with brown fur that stands on end. It has horns with I tiptoe in that direction and bam, there it is in the clearing, a hellhound with brown fur that stands on end. It has horns, which means it is actually a she. She's the size of a tiger, and she gnaws on a bone as big as she is. Hey, better that bone than me. Now to catch this thing. If only I knew how to use the gift, this would be a breeze. But no, you're too young to learn, Dad said. It's nothing to play with, he said. Wait until you're 12, he said. Those rules stink, I said. Lucky for me, I'm 12 today, and that means goodbye rules. But at the moment, all I've got is my net. I raise it above my head as I inch closer to the hellhound. Good doggy. Don't worry about this live three-course meal walking toward, and she sees me. I freeze. Well, what a show we've had. A.F. Stedman, L.D. Lipinski and Angie Thomas. Before we go, just got to say that there's a big new book out called The Rage of the Sea Witch. It's by Roland Chambers. It's a recent release to look out for. And after discovering a beautifully carved Inuit necklace, Billy Shaman realises he can travel through time and meet shapeshifters. What more do you want from a book? That's called The Rage of the Sea Witch. Go and check it out. That's pretty much it from Bookworms this week. If you've enjoyed this podcast, remember, like, subscribe and follow wherever it is you get your pods from. And I'll see you soon. Bye.